welcome to another bonus episode of Talking with Friends um, so that we can talk a little bit more about Rings of Power. So today we're going to give like our best guess for the events of the show. Um, We know that there's going to be time compression things that change that, but if you're a part of the group that doesn't want to know anything going in, I've seen several of that like on Twitter and TikTok or like, you don't want to know anything about the show. You're just excited that we're going back to Middle Earth. This might not be the episode for you. Yeah. But um, like and follow anyway. Uh, so, <laughs> but uh, we will also discuss some of the things that we hope to see on the show, you know, from characters and storylines to maybe even like Lord of the Rings or some Marillion references. Um, so now I may not have Callie or Anna with me today, uh, but we're very help- happy to welcome back Nick to the podcast. Hi, wow. Nick. Hi. And I hope you will also join me in welcoming a very special guest, my husband, Josh. (laughs) So Josh has been a part of like every episode, whether you knew about it or not. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that you finally get to hear from him. Hi, Josh. Hello. So like Nick, people know to follow you at 4NOS42. Josh, do you want anybody to follow you anywhere? Um, My, I guess my, my social medias are all Josh the Composer as one word. Um, I do off and on educational music content, but I haven't done it in a while, but maybe this will be the, you know, the kick in the rear to actually start doing that again. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So we've mentioned the time compression. Um, So the series of events is probably going to change, but I wanted to just kind of give a primer on what the series is even supposed to be about because for a long time it was just called Lord of the Rings. And then finally it was called Rings of Power. Yeah. So it's like, I think a lot of people, at at least in the beginning, did think it had something to do with Lord of the Rings, like the The novels and the movies. But, and it's not that it doesn't, because we do know there's a lot of returning characters, but this is a prequel. This is the before. And so, like, to set it up, I'm going to try to be as brief as possible, but I did write, like, two pages of notes on this. Um, That's enough. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, so we have, there's a whole lot of history of Middle-earth that we probably won't even touch on, but... There's, there's several ages, um, and the Lord of the Rings is in the Third Age. It's primarily the end of the Third Age, because the right. end of Sauron and the coming of Aragorn to Gondor is the beginning of the Fourth Age. Um, but there is, in fact, a First Age, um, which we won't go into, but it <laughs> ends with a giant battle, um, and like nearly everyone on Earth against Morgoth, who we have talked about before, so I'm just going to assume that you know who that is. Um, And so that's like the Valar, like the lesser gods of Tolkien's world, the elves, and there are men involved, but particularly three houses of men, like these three families that are um, supporting the elves. And ultimately, the land that the battle takes place on is destroyed, uh, leaving us, more or less, with the version of the Middle-Earth map that we know from Lord of the Rings. Uh, however, these three houses of men that we talked about, uh, they are gifted their own island nation of Numenor. And it's uh, and they also get like an extremely long lifespan, anywhere from like 
300 to 500 years, depending yeah, right. on. Yeah, I only lived like to 480 or something. No, 510 years old, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah. The first I know somebody got to 500. Yeah, I'm, pre I'm pretty sure it was Elros. And then other people were almost there for the first like thousand years. But we'll get into that. Yes. Um. <laughs> so, uh, and then we have, um, I think a lot at this point, a lot of elves leave and go to Valinor because they're like, no. Uh, and then the the rest of the elves who stay in Middle-earth, they are founding the Grey Havens and Linden and, you know, basically as far west as you can go on the Middle-earth map that we know. Um, our dwarf friends, they make for Casa Doom or Moria, as it's later known, um, and they make it the greatest dwarvish city we've ever seen. Yes. Which is, it's going to be sick. Um some of the our elves also, and notice I'm not like putting dates on this because it's going to be pointless to know what the time compression. Um, right. Some of our elves, uh, particularly Celebrimbor, who we've started to see, you know, mm -hmm. promo shots of. Um, he is going to found the area of Eregion, where in the Lord of the Rings books is where the Fellowship was attacked by wolves. It's the area they also call it Holland. Um, and it's neighbor to Moria, to our friends, the dwarves. And according to the timeline in the appendices of Return of the King, about a thousand years in is when Sauron, alarmed by the growing power of the Numenorians, uh, decides to make Mordor his stronghold. He needs, like, a base. So that's... Sauron, you know, he's lurking a boot, but he <laughs> doesn't do anything. Uh, so he starts making moves about a thousand years in. I know for a fact from like the trailers we've seen that they are not going to give him a thousand years to wait around to start making moves. Nope. Um, but that's for your reference. Um, and soon that he decides to seduce the Eldar, AKA the elves uh, that we know of. And I don't, I don't whatever. I'm not even going to get into all the different, elves like what these words mean but this is how Tolkien puts it so Gilgalad refuses him and Gilgalad at this time is the high king of the elves um, is it specifically the Noldor actually it doesn't matter um well we can get into that whether it matters or not but let's keep going here but that's a good point um whether he's the high king of all elves or just the Noldor matters yeah or how they're going to split up events with elves so anyway right. keep going right Hold but on. At, the, at this point, if 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 you're taking notes, like Gil Gilgalad, Gilgalad, I don't even I say his name different every time. It's gonna be like a Star Wars situation, or it's like Han Solo and Han Solo. Hundred like, percent. Yeah. Okay, to use the Stephen Colbert logic, I think Gilgalad scans in the song. Well, like mm -hmm. I'm I'm a Gilgalad. Pronounce yeah. Yeah. It rolls off the tongue better when you're just talking. <laughs> yeah, and it's like Gil is, I don't know, there's like a hyphen. Um, right? So, so Gilgalad refuses him. Uh, good job. And then, but the elves of Eregion, bringing back Celebrimbor, uh, mm -hmm. they're one over, is how the appendices puts it. Um, and so this is where we get into the title of the show. It's the creation of the rings of power. You know, we've, but not three rings for elven kings under the sky quite yet um <laughs> they're they're um they're just like making rings i feel like the idea is like i'm vibing you're vibing like let's learn from each other um and so we don't have the elf the three elvish rings because 
honestly, none of these rings belong to anybody yet. Um, and then, no, nor the one. So, Sauron takes a little break from chilling with Celebrimbor, and he goes back to Mordor to create the One Ring. Celebrimbor, in the meantime, makes the three. As soon as Sauron completes the one, Celebrimbor is aware of what has happened. Mm-hmm. And so he hides the three rings from Sauron, and the elves go to war with him. Um, and eventually, the Numenorians come in to save the day, but before they do... Um, Eregion is laid waste, Celebrimbor is killed, and it's pretty gnarly. Um, not in the appendices, but I just know that it is. Um, and the gates of Moria are shut, which yeah. is so... Even just that phrase sounds devastating to me. It does! Because when you hear it talked about, you imagine them being like open, the east and the west gates, and people are just yeah. freely through, and it's a right. kind of prosperous commerce and, you know, exchange between cultures, and Nope, now doors are shut. Doors are it's, shut. The, the way is shut. Mm-hmm, that's the vibe. Um, and Elrond retreats with yeah. what remains of the Noldor to Rivendell. So Rivendell is starts at some point during all of this, and this is where they retreat to it. Um, and then, so Numenorians show up, and Sauron is defeated. There is peace for a while, and this is where like the Numenorians are flourishing, they're doing the most right um and they also begin establishing dominions on the coast of middle earth and so you know when we think about numenorians i think the biggest thing to me is like the architecture you know like or think minas tirith you know even the moranin the black gates you yeah. know minas morgul there's so many things that are like amazing that they did and i don't even think that with the dominion on the coast that they've necessarily built all these things quite yet. Right. Um, so it's, it's going to be cool to see it is. what they do with uh, Numenor. Um, yeah. But uh, so while they're making, you know, doing stuff on the coast and doing whatever they're doing in Numenor, Sauron extends his power eastwards, which based on the maps that the show has started to put out, we're definitely going to see whatever that means. Yeah. Um, and so now if you want to check in on the timeline, we're like 1800 years into it. And this is when the shadow begins to fall on Numenor. And, you know, this is where they're starting to be like, what we've got isn't enough. I want to live forever um, type of problems. Um, And this, because of them thinking this way, they start to die sooner. And so it becomes more of a problem. And, you know, we see them start to turn away from the elves and the Valar at the same time. And so, you know, we'll start to see a division between the Numenorians. I definitely know the show is going to get into this, where we have the faithful who are, like, still into the elves, um, and then the kingsmen who are not. They want to do their own thing. Um, we also see the Nazgul first appear around 2251 of the Second Age. Throwing that out there. Yeah. You can kind of see, like, how long all of these events are taking with these dates. Um, so then... Numenor has the civil war. Our Farazon takes the scepter. We'll we'll talk about why that might be different in a minute. But uh, so he becomes the king, and he is the worst, and is also obsessed with his own power and like wanting to live forever. You know, like peak dummy. Yeah. And um, Sauron knows he's a guy. You know, Sauron understands Farazon probably more than he understands anybody else. Um, and 
So Sauron is like, cool, this guy's in power. I'm going to proclaim myself the king of all men, you know? And then Farazan is like, absolutely not. And so he <laughs> challenges Sauron, but Sauron knows he doesn't have the forces at this point to fight him. So he's like, oh no, you got me. And he takes him to Numenor, uh, which is obviously all part of his plan. Some He becomes uh, a counselor to Farazan and basically like full cult status achieved like mm -hmm. people start worshiping morgoth they're doing human sacrifices and he's really egging on uh the king to try to take back mortality you know, immortality uh from the valar yes. because as we haven't mentioned because it's relevant most relevant now um is that when they created the valar created numenor they were like you have this great place, but you cannot ever step foot in Valinor. Like, you are banned. Um, and because they are tired. And uh, and nobody was supposed to go there in the first age. Anyway, that happens. But anyway. Um, but it's still technically accessible by boat. Um, like, Valinor is still a part of Arda. It's still part of the world. Yes. Um, but they're forbidden to go there. Sauron convinces Farazan that he can take the immortality, the same as the elves did. Uh, and this, in turn, causes the destruction of Numenor. Oops. Um, Spoiler. Then we, I know. And then it's like the timeline gets super short at this point where it's just like a few of the faithful, a.k.a. Elendil and his sons, yeah. Sildor and Anaria. There are more, but like, these are our guys, right? Mm -hmm. They escape the fall of Numenor and create the realms that we do know. Arnor, which is like west of the Misty Mountains, and Gondor, which is east of the Misty Mountains. Um, and eventually, Sauron... So Sauron loses his body. He flies back to Mordor and kind of, you know, does some thinking. And eventually, eventually, we will get to the last alliance of elves and men. Yes. So in less than 15 minutes, that is <laughs> the second age of the did good. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, there are a couple of things that's, that we were like, no, let's, let's not talk about that yet. But mm -hmm. no, let's go back and talk to it and talk about it. So for one thing, the second age is 3,441 years long. We are not going to see 3,000, almost 3,500 years in five seasons. There's just no way, especially because we know people who are alive, who only live a couple hundred years, are alive at the end of that timeline, and they're alive at the start of the show. So, Exactly. So I think, like, so, okay, so characters that we've for sure seen in the promos, we've got Gilgalad, we've got... Celebrimbor, we've got Elrond, we've got Galadriel, you yeah. know, we have um, Durin, you know, and our dwarves. I haven't, you know, Indisa, who's new. Um, and we have, as far as the Numenorians, we have Muriel, and yeah. we have Farazan already. So we're not, yeah. I'm guessing. He's Isildur, but he's yeah. Young. He's, he's yeah. Young, so. Lendil and Isildur are there, and then he also has a sister now, which is great. Um, yeah, I'm into it. Yeah. I mean, I hope that she gets to do something bad. If she's replacing his brother, I hope she's just as badass. Yeah. In the fight in the battle of the last alliance, because agree. That's a sweet moment, and she deserves it. She deserves like an Aowen moment almost. Yeah. That being really, really cool. But that's thinking 
into the fifth season probably so yeah for yeah. sure so so we've got muriel mm-hmm. and borrows like everything's already and i think that her dad is so she's like queen regent in the show i think her dad right. is sick but he's like one of the last of like the faithful kings and then Farazan, i'm guessing it's going to be like a coup situation because he's being portrayed as like a counselor type of guy um not necessarily a part of the i'm sure he is like nobility in some way she performed but he's not like in the line of secession as far as the way they're presenting her first cousin at least canonically so Mm -hmm. creepy vibes even for medieval times um you know pretty creepy but also um i want to say that he's from a line that if they had done things the very traditional human route um Mm -hmm. when a king didn't have a son it would pass to someone else in his line not his daughter but in Mm -hmm. Numenor the daughters succeeded uh the first one was pretty early on thousand years in uh 1075 Tar and Kalime becomes the first ruling queen of Numenor so like and that's because her dad decided to change it right correct so pre her there were they did the more you know traditional like think England, like yeah. pass it on to his brother or his you know nephew or something like that where and then her father says nope she's badass let's have her step in and that shifted the line and i'm pretty sure farazan came from the line that would have been king mm-hmm. had they not done this i could be misremembering so don't 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 quote me on that, but I'm yeah. pretty sure that's where he concocts some feigned believability of like, I am owed to this. Sure. I feel like he's going to do like some, because he's definitely going to be one of the king's men or whatever. And yes. I and- feel like I still, I think we're still going to probably get the civil war part of it, but. Um, I hope so. Yeah, I feel like it's gonna be like Tar Mariel being stuck between a rock and the hard place because they're, you know, in the in the trailers we've seen Galadriel and her talking together and her being like fight with me. Yes. Um, so I feel like some of the conflict there might be like nah, uh, but then maybe they do. I don't know. It's it's interesting to think about the smushing, right? Because. We're yeah. already hearing Sauron's name in the trailers and stuff, but the rings aren't. The rings aren't yet. even. They haven't even hinted at the rings. So, let's talk about like big picture timeline for a second, because mm-hmm. I'm kind of seeing this as the first third to half is getting folded into the second half yeah. of of it, and then even that's going to be compressed because again, all the people who are alive at the end are alive at the beginning but i think we're going to see the smushing of the wars with sauron potentially mm. so like instead of him destroying Eregion, murdering Celebrimbor, all of that and then maintaining power without really being challenged until the numenorians challenge him i think all of that's just going to happen in one there's just going to be one war where Celebrimbor dies sauron gains a lot of power and then thane's not being strong enough maybe but like that doesn't make sense either. I don't know. And then I am a firm believer in the chance of us getting a Witcher-esque multiple timelines happening at once. Mm. And yeah. my argument for that, well, I could go off on that. I think I talked about that on the last bonus episode. 
Um, but I think that, so you know the shot of the meteor and everyone looks up? Mm -hmm. I don't think everyone is actually looking at the meteor in the show. I think that was sure. cutting. It's cut. Yeah. yeah like, Caradriel's on a boat sailing into the, what's the line in the, what's the title of the song and the soundtrack? Um, oh. Hold on. Josh, I hear Sailing um, into the dawn. Mm. So we know that's like the start. So maybe she's just the first one to see the meteor, or she's looking at something completely different. And that just happened to be her shot. And then so you could say the same thing. We know for a fact the Harfoots see it because Nori <clears throat> goes up to the stranger, blah, blah, blah. Right. But like, my reason for saying that is I think that's meant to imply to us that it's all happening at the same time. But specifically, the stuff that's going to happen in the South and the East, I think that's happening way ahead of the stuff that we're seeing with Numenor and Galadriel. Mm. So that we get this, like, we kind of get Sauron or representatives of Sauron in two places. Yeah. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, I could see that. But poke um, my theory, please. I don't know. I think it's... Uh, it. it it's going to be so interesting to see how they do it because there's obviously a lot of options, right? Yes. And we know that the cast is huge. You know, we've got Arondir and Bronwyn, and they're kind of like... Hey, I know that they they put up a map, and they're kind of like close to Mordor. Um, so, I don't know. That, that'll be... That'll be interesting i'm also just thinking of like you know like josh from the someone who has religiously watched the movies with me like multiple times a year what kind of references do you hope they make yeah um yeah that's one thing like i i think that's one thing in general that they need to like keep in mind and I, I i'm guessing they are keeping in mind is that they need to make like really clever connections to the films that peter jackson made and i know that like they're not going to be anything like peter jackson's films and they shouldn't be probably but like they should make clever connections to them and one thing i've been thinking about is i think it would be so cool if there were an origin story for the mouth of sauron and we follow that character and I'm convinced that the blonde guy is him, but that's just because it's funny to say that. Mm -hmm. the, the, the guy that looks like Eminem is is the mouth of Sauron, and he's gonna <laughs> like, you know, rise to being like the general of Sauron or whatever. I love but, that. Um, but I like connections like that that connect the to the films, um, rather than just like you know staying within the appendices and the books or whatever. I think that would be really cool, and that would make that would make the show like really successful for everyone. I think if we I have totally. like these kind of like star wars-esque like references to things that happen later in the films you know mm -hmm. um i think that i think they have to do something like that for the show to be really well you know received overall i agree yeah because they have to know that like so they're like there's gonna be a sect of people i think that probably are just like fantasy but maybe they didn't really weren't into lord of the rings like that's gonna be a group of people watching the show but i think the biggest base point of knowledge is going to be the Peter Jackson movies. And so they're not, I mean, you know, they already are doing, I mean, they've got Weta involved at Howard Shore did the main title theme. Like right. they're not, not referencing the movies. Right. So 
I definitely, I agree with that. I think that what we, evidence from, like, Return of the King shows that the mouth of Sauron has an unnaturally long life anyway. So I think with, with the folding of the timelines, like, getting him in there wouldn't be too hard. We already, we definitely are going to see some Nazgulification, um, which... God, yes, please. <laughs> yeah. So I think that that's going to be really cool. I mean, if they have to, right? Like, they they're explicitly to. stated in that timeline. And we, I mean, who doesn't... Want to see the Nazgul? Yeah, like, they're... But that's almost an argument for the multiple timelines because... If you try to do Nazgul just in the last, like, let's be generous and give them, like, 50 years to cover or something like that. Yeah. Like, it takes thousands of years or over a thousand years for the Nazgul to be stretched like wire. You know, I think that's how the analogy is used in, in or the, the simile in, in the book. It's like their lifespan is just pulled a wire infinitely thin. Because, you, yeah. you know, similar to Bilbo's line about butter scraped over too much bread that's them to the point that their body literally doesn't exist anymore and i think it would cheapen it a little bit if that happens almost instant if that happens in like a 10-year span or instantaneously i don't think that's as cool like i think there's something terrifying about like you got what the numenorians wanted but at a horrible horrible price Mm -hmm. yeah i think it's you know what i mean because we already know from the trailers and stuff, like, Linden already exists, like, yeah. Regeon probably already exists, like, Numenor's doing its thing. So, I think that would be fair, I mean, we, we're getting hints at, like, culty people. I think it would be fair to say that, like, Sauron has already swayed some men of Middle-earth. Sure. You know, to be working with him, and they could easily become the Nazgul, you know. We're the Mouth of Sauron. I, I agree with that. Yeah. Or like a precursor, like is the Mouth of Sauron one person or is that a title and does it get passed down? I think that'd be, either way, that'd be cool as shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. It's like, well, it's, the Mouth of Sauron is just one of those characters that always stands out as like, you don't know anything about him. So that's like a perfect opportunity as a filmmaker to be like, okay, we got to like explore this guy because he freaked everyone out and we don't know anything about him if you haven't read the books. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, we I, that's a huge opportunity. There's other ones I've thought of. I can't think of any right now, but like the Mouth of Sauron is a glaring opportunity to make a huge connection to the Peter Jackson films, you know? Totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah, man. I like that prediction a lot. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Do you just want to stay focused on season one? Like, what are we going to see time-wise in that? Or I mean, like, I'm you could. I think that there's, but it's hard to say what's going to be season one. I know, uh, based on what we've already talked about. So I kind of just think like, at this point, we we've only seen little snack bites. Yeah. You know, um, they haven't really told us exactly where they're going with the lot you know we've got galadriel fighting the you know the servants of morgoth in some way shape or form she's obviously we've seen a clip from the queer show that they previewed where you know she's like sauron was here so they're already name dropping um so yeah i just hope that whatever they that clip was from the first episode maybe like i just wonder it's like 
because I'm trying to think about other TV shows, press circuits mm-hmm. like that, where like normally they show stuff from the first like couple episodes, if not just the first. Yeah. They don't want to give away. They don't want to give anything away about the trajectory of the season. They want to make, they want to keep up. They want us doing exactly what we're doing. Like I have no actual evidence for anything I'm saying except the snack bites that like you were saying. So like, Mm -hmm. we're just going to speculate and I hope we're wrong. I hope we're completely surprised and they blow us away with something completely different than what we're. Yeah. I think like, I don't even want to worry too much about Sauron. Like they're already name dropping him, but I don't even want to pretend like I, I don't have, we seen him. I have no clue. Like, I don't want to have seen him. I don't um, either. I think it'd be cooler if he's a name, like keep name dropping him, but we don't see him. This yeah. is very like first Harry Potter book. Like don't see him till the very end. And he's mm-hmm. not even really there. Like he's, you know, I don't necessarily want Sauron possessing somebody and coming out the back of their head, but no. you know, like, Always in the shadows, never in the foreground of the show for at least the first season. I think it'd be cool if he's like unseen until middle of season two, even like that'd be mm-hmm. dope. Yeah. Yeah. I could be down for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I think aside from like things like set design, uh, which I think we already know that I'm excited for Numenor and whatever the heck they decide to do with Kesla Doom. Like, they're starting to show, like, Elrond chilling with Durin. Um, Which I'm into. Yeah, so I'm like, I, I hope that we spend... I guess my only real hope for the first season is that we get to spend some time in each of these places and getting, like, a feel for, like, the different vibes yes. of these locations. And, like, like what is the difference between Linden and Eregion? Like, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. What is it like to be a man of Middle-earth and, like, someone like Bronwyn versus a Numenorean? Yes. You know? I was also thinking earlier today, like, are we going to see the shadow coming over Numenor pre-influence yeah. of Sauron, i.e., like, even before the Farazhan stuff, like, them building havens? Good. Mm-hmm. They start to, like, go full-on colonizer, though. Yeah. Last like thousand years or more like fifteen hundred years actually of their existence. And that's a really interesting and compelling story, specifically if you're gonna show the corrupting of the South and the East. Mm-hmm. Like they're doing Sauron's job for him by being colonizers. Like right. follow me, have your own strength. This is Sauron talking. Right. Combat these people who are stealing your lands and taking all your resources. Like that's a really interesting moral, morally yeah. area for us to examine. You know, I mean, it's like you think about, if you look at history, right? Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't take too much time to become a colonizer. It doesn't. To, like, right. you know, so I'm just thinking, like, maybe we start off, we've got Muriel. She, she's, I, I'm ready to fall in love with her character, like. I don't really know that much about her, but like, I think she is going to be cool. None of us uh, know very much about her other than who her dad was and how she dies. <laughs> right. um, but I think that I'm just thinking like, maybe I, I hope that she has like a good amount of time to rule before Farazan does anything. 
but I think that he could easily be like the guy that starts messing things up. Like, whereas they're not having havens anymore, these are now calling and they're taking over stuff. You know no. what I mean? Like, no. I think he's going to be the main drive based on what we've been given. I feel like he's going to be the main driver of like what happens with Numenor or like leading them down the wrong path. And maybe he phrases it at the beginning as like, Hey, we don't need to, you know, we can do our own thing. We don't have to listen to these stupid elves or I don't even know like how you would say it. But yeah, no, I like that. And then it's like Farazan becomes a stand in for the Kingsmen, the people who like mm-hmm. turn away from the, turn away from the West, as they say. Um, and like you were talking about earlier, just basically want to live forever versus the faithful. Muriel could be the stand-in for that, but also that's who Elendil is supposed to be. And I feel it. like she's going to be a stand-in for like all the kings before, where it's kind of like yeah. perfect, but they're not the worst. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Like I think she's going to be, it's going to, I think the prob the problem that we're gonna see with Muriel, this is me just making shit up, okay? Yeah. But like with the fact that she she might end up choosing Farazan over Galadriel. Um huh. in, like putting like their friends and like maybe she helps them, but maybe they suffer some kind of loss in helping Galadriel and she's like, Whoa, like I gotta pull back. Farazan's making a lot of sense and then Farazan is somehow able to like like pull I like way. that. I really like that actually, because that would then explain the like cavalry charge mm-hmm. that we see that we saw the clip of. Like, cool. I I totally buy that. That's like Muriel giving Galadriel help for something. Whatever that something is, I'm not entirely sure. Maybe they go to the south and they try to stop the forces of darkness from gaining power. But then I like. I really like what you're saying. Like that cost them more than they were willing to give in terms of life or resources or time or whatever. And that's where the Farazan types get a stronghold of like, if we're going to do this, we're owed more. Yeah. We should rule this land because we freed it or something, you know, something like that. Something. 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 And to Josh's point about tying back to the movies, that's something that's in the book and the movie. Obviously, it has to be in the book, but um, the <laughs> White Tree of Gondor. Oh, man. If we... Yeah. I don't know if they're... I mean, in the trailer, the tree is already, like, there and doing its thing. But they're... I mean, in Numenor. So I can't remember the, its name when it's Numenor's White Tree. Moth. Nimloth. Everyone gets a white tree. Um, yeah, a white and, tree for you. A white tree for you. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And so they have Nimloth, and at some point, Sauron, and this is also probably going to get into like what rights they do or don't have. I feel like whenever we talk about this the next time, we're going to be like, oh yeah, they totally got this yeah. much of Unfinished Tales or this section of the Silmarillion or something. But if I, I really want to see. Um, so Isildur is the one who saves the fruit of the white of Nimloth yep. in order to bring it to Gondor. And literally like moments before Sauron cuts it down because for whatever reason, he doesn't want them to have this tree. Right. Um, and so I, I really want to see him like have that moment of like, like fighting and then he smuggles. It's like all over a fruit. Right. But then this becomes 
the tree, I mean, it's the ancestor of the tree that we see in Lord of the Rings. Right. Um, yeah, man, that's, I hope that, I'm imagining that is going to be, well. It's okay. going to be happened right before they have to escape. Yeah, exactly. Like, I hope they give it that tension, like, it's now or never, like, within the next few days, shit's hitting the fan with, like, human sacrifice and all that stuff, and so the Valar are like, nope, <laughs> or Lubitar, yeah. really. But so that brings up a question about future seasons. Do you think the fall of Numenor is going to be in the last season or the fourth season? To make and then like if they did it fourth season, that would give season five all the runway it needed for like the last alliance to become because like they have to establish kingdoms. You know, yeah. Gondor and Arnor have to like at least get started. Would it happen sooner, or would they have? Would they have? Okay, so, like, I think, based on, um, Josh, are you laughing at me? Uh, I was just thinking, like, how funny would it be if it's, like, the first episode? And it's like, this is Numenor, and then it fell, and now we're doing the story. They're just building it all up, and it's like, we're like, oh, finally we get to see it. Oh, and it it's, it's actually just about Elinda and his like they son. They just breeze past it, and then they're just doing something else. Yeah, I love like that. We would be like, oh. it's like i got so excited oh man i almost wonder like okay well if we're okay we're folding the timeline in on itself a little bit maybe maybe the start of arnor and gondor are already there and they don't have Mm -hmm. to rebuild it and they can just fall of numenor go live there instead of having to build I could see that, but I wouldn't love it because Gondor and Arnor are, it's special. It's like these people are refugees, but they're like empowering themselves. They're going out and rebuilding a civilization that's in the land that was laid to waste by Sauron. And then, I don't know, like that could be cool, but I hope they don't do it that way. I I hope they- But otherwise, if they do need to build all these structures, because this is where we're talking like- Amonsul? Like, what the hell is Weathertop supposed to look like? I want to see that. I want to see Amonsul. I really want to see Fornost, of course. Um, (laughs) That would be great. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's like Isengard, that's Minas Tirith, that's... Like, at what point do they build... I bet Isengard already exists at this point. I bet. But that was earlier Numenor. Okay. Because... It's built in such a way that, like, no one who's alive in the Third Age, i.e. all the Numenorians that escape when it falls, they, like, don't know how to do that anymore. It's yeah, that I don't... Tolkien does. Right, like, but when do they build the I don't know. gate to Mordor? Because that's built out of the same kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And Mordor, they... oh, man, we're, like, poking holes in all of the time folding now, because how, how do you explain that, like... There wouldn't be the Moranon. There wouldn't be, you know, the Towers of the Teeth uh-huh. or Kirithungal or et cetera, et cetera, if those kingdoms don't get established to fence Sauron in. Oh, man. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. And now I'm afraid. <laughs> I know. I guess I really want to see them build some shit. Me too. 
it's not really lame, but like I just want to see like tink tink. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know how they did no. it, but um, yeah. Uh, I wonder like how much um, how much they're going to be using flashbacks for things instead mm-hmm. of actually being in that time period. Yeah. So like you know how they they keep doing this thing where they're like, have you heard of Sauron? Like who's yes. Sauron? It's like, what if that's the way they tell the stories about all these things? And it's like, but then we're like in the present day, which is like, I don't even know when that would be like in the second right. age or something. But like, but they're thinking of, they're talking about like things that happened in the past, you know, and we're almost like at the end of the timeline before Lord of the Rings starts so, or something. That's what I think they're going to do if they do the Witcher like multiple timelines. It's just a question of, do you know that's in the past or not? Right. I think it'd be cool if they left it ambiguous because then that way well i don't know you'd you'd have to know if they're showing galadriel in multiple places all over the place like they'd have to tell you right timelines or else it's just like how did she get over there that's very like last season of game of thronesy if Mm -hmm. if she can get from like the frozen north to numenor in two episodes that i will hate that um unless it's different timelines you know what i mean yeah, that could be a flashback. Hey. Dang. Dang. They have, hey, I mean, I do not envy the writers of the show. That kind of seems like, the from a writer's perspective, it seems like that could be the easiest way to deal with the timelines without overly compressing them. Like, you yeah. can just jump around as much as you want then, and it's like, yeah. you know, then this happened, and then it's like, let's go back to this to develop this, and like, you yeah. know explore what happened you know and like be there for this episode or something and then yeah i i was thinking about that and it, that that seems like one of the best ways to avoid it just being like really weirdly like sped up yeah almost yeah. like like i always didn't like in peter jackson's films when Gollum turns into Gollum, how quickly it happens and you see him like morph on the screen no, like, i hope they don't do that you know it's like yeah. it should be like a long process so yeah it should i agree I agree. Hmm. Now I'm now I want to like go to the so interestingly enough the most information we have like in terms of what they're going to do with the show. Yeah. To me is the soundtrack. Like mm-hmm. listening to the music, like what are the cue what are the musical cues giving us for okay, we know Casa Doom has this kind of grandiose feel it's it's epic the way the moria music is you know bridge of casa doom in in uh the fellowship of the ring soundtrack but it doesn't there's it doesn't have this air of like josh you can probably like use actual terms here um but like it doesn't feel as um i guess stressful is maybe the word i'm looking for like they're not clearly being chased by a balrog when they're in casa doom this is more like casa doom at its height. This is Casa Doom when it's like the lovely place we were talking about earlier where people are welcome and it's, you know, cultural exchange and all that. Yeah, well, there it, it's almost like in the Lord of the Rings, the way Howard Shore scored Casa Doom is the things that are in Casa Doom rather than the place itself. And now Bear McCreary is able to like score the place itself, which is nice. There's like, there's very few, like he has Numenor, Valinor, Casa Doom, but Overall, it seems like the soundtrack is going to lean towards scoring people rather than places. Yes. But the few places he has are like, you know, it's it's interesting that like he's scoring Kaz Doom the place rather than 
the things that are in Kazadoom that are going to kill you. Yes. Whereas Howard Shore was scoring the fear that the you're chase. feeling in Kazadoom or whatever, yeah. you know. That's a good point. Wow, yeah. Hmm. And then events, too. We're seeing, like, okay, so Sundering Seas, that's going to probably be the shipwreck scene with the sea monster, if I had to guess. Right. And I still don't know how that's going to come into play either. Same. Like, where the hell... <laughs> is when that how Galadriel gets to Numenor, or is she leaving? No, she has to be getting there with Halbrand. Does she be... Oh, Halbrand goes with her? Because they walk in... There's that one scene... Oh, man. <gasps> You're yeah. right. They, they walk right. into the into the throne room or whatever and it's and she says like i'm lady galadriel of and he's like i'm halbrand yeah i'm Hal yeah it's like and that's the part i and i kind of agree with people on this like i'm worried about a potential love interest plot line there because i don't know it, it just kind of makes the elf I, I think they've cut some lines that she says to muriel into there I don't yeah. think all of those things are said to Halbrand. I agree. I, I think that is, they're being clever to try yeah. to elicit a response, positive or negative. They they just yeah. want people to be hyped to watch it to find out what happens. Yeah. They, they, yeah. They're almost like, you know what? If people are going to angry watch this, we're going to give them a reason. You know, like. Exactly. <laughs> and then watch everyone love it because it's going to be great. But they just wanted to piss everyone off before it started. I know. Like, the editors are just having a ball at this point. Because. Um, you know, I'm sure the, the hard work is done. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Josh, do you have any initial thought? Because, I, you know, we haven't been able to join before. So do you have any thoughts on, like, the trailers we've seen so far or any, mm. like, hints of things that it makes you think of? Um, I don't know. Like, overall, I'm just really happy that there's, like, practical orcs that are dressed up, you know, rather than like CG so far. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just happy about the things that they're doing that are going to be sticking to why we liked the Lord of the Rings. Yes. The film adaptation, because it's like, we liked the, the dudes in costumes playing orcs. And like, we liked the, the real, you know, all the real sets and all the real things. And all the trailers have only shown those things. They've shown real sets and they've shown, you know, orcs in costumes. And, and I even heard that, like, the guy that played, you know, I forgot the orc's name that kills Boromir. Um, but the guy that played him is returning as an orc. Oh, really? So, oh, yeah, that's awesome. what I heard. Oh, man. And he's going to be dressed up and everything as an orc, so that's really cool. Yes. Um, that's the things that I'm really... I, I mostly care about that. And then, like, the things we can't see in the trailers is like they can really mess it up with the pacing and the editing and how fast that you know, like you were talking about compressing the timeline if you do that wrong it'll really not be right like it'll really yeah. feel wrong and it won't feel like the the epic like you know saga that it's supposed to feel like right. so yeah i think the thing that is giving me faith is that we know it's five seasons we know that they have like whether this tanks or not they're doing five seasons so they don't have to like cram stuff in that they really want to tell a story of without knowing if they're continuing on. So like, right. I'm, I'm, I have faith that whatever they do is going to be done logically. I might not agree with all of it. I doubt I will, but it'll still make sense. What I'm afraid of happening though, is something that to make up for the fact that they've compressed times that they just create a hundred percent new storylines that throw off 
our perceptions of where things go Uh even into the third age even in lord of the rings like i'm afraid of people even if all you're ever going to do is watch the show and the peter jackson trilogy i want all of that to still feel at least sort of connected to canon it can be it can be wrong like i'm okay with it being not yeah but it shouldn't be like oh i thought that I don't know. I'm trying to think of something they completely changed. Like, oh, the elves showing up at Helm's Deep. That change made sense. It created more drama. It created more suspense. And it helped create this feeling. But it also changed our perception of men. It, like, kept the men are weak thing going. Mm-hmm. Like, men couldn't just do it themselves. I hope we see men being represented. By men, I mean humans. Yeah. Represented, like, properly in this. Like, they're supposed to be badass. They're the ones who saved the elves. It, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, right. I think that um, it's interesting because while Tolkien, most of the time, he is focusing on elves. When If you think about, like, the amount of time that has existed. And, like, yes. most of that is talking about what elves are up to during all of that wide amount of time. Um, but then, at the, you know, the stories that people most, I feel like, uh connect to are the ones that center around hobbits yes so i think that this is a chance for the showrunners to be like all right we've never we've talked about men men have been doing stuff but let's like show the breadth and depth of, of these guys um and you know what that looks like and i and i that, that's also kind of why i hope that the poople men or the woses show mm-hmm. up um they're mentioned in one chapter in Return of the King, but they talked about how the, they were there before the men came up over the water. And so, I mean, I hope that it we get to touch on, like, there are multiple types, like, cultures existing in Middle-earth and maybe painting a picture for, like, how Numenor is not only just different, but why they build themselves up to be colonizers. Yeah. For other people or not like everyone else is just doing their own thing you know yeah i i also hope we see some of that because it there's a theme in tolkien i don't remember if this isn't a letter or what but he talks about ennoblement so we know there's like the hierarchy of like the ainur made up of the valar and the maiar then there's the elves that came over the sea to see the light of the trees then there's the elves who didn't then there's the elves who didn't even start the journey then there's humans and there's all the hierarchy that you already talked about, like the three houses of the Adain, 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 whatever. Um, then the hobbits. And we're the- not that kind of podcast. No, no, we're not. <laughs> Lee, if you're ever on the podcast, you can just correct everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, I want to see, I don't want to see that hierarchy per se, because I'm very much like not into hierarchy in real life. Yeah. But I do want to see the exchange of like, we have been blessed with more information because we're of our proximity to the divine. So here, uh-huh. let us help you. Yeah. I want like the real, the, the story that um, the English, the Spanish and the French told themselves when they were colonizing the new world, quote unquote, like I want some of that to be not true, but like, Believable. Well, it's, it it's like happens. the narrative you tell yourself in order to commit these acts, yes. right? Yes. And so it's never, I don't think 
it will become this like wow you guys suck kind of thing but mm. i i think that the way that we're seeing i i hope that it's almost like we start off being like yeah numenor's the best and then it's like wait a second well, like what are you doing that's Exactly, because like names. Oh man, I think that's in the letter in the front of the Silmarillion, one thirty-one. I think he called, he says um, the themes of Lord of the Rings and like his overall work are the machine and fall. So like he's really obsessed with. I obviously like the Saruman line from the movie is like the what is it like drive the machine of war with. Uh, you know, the line I'm talking about when he's talking yeah. to the army. Um, anyway, that's one thing. Like, what does it mean to, like, what is progress if it's leading to worse industrialization and destruction of nature and things like that, but then falling. So, like, we see that with Feanor. We see that with Sauron. We see that with Morgoth. We see that, like, all of it is people who had a chance to be the best of something, and they fall. Very, like, yeah. John Milton, Paradise Lost style satan Mm -hmm. and i so i i agree i say all that to say i really agree that we should see numenor as a beacon of hope and light right so that when they do the bad stuff when they when they go very much the wrong direction that should hurt us that should that's what i'm gonna say like and also the people have been talking about like oh i don't want lord of the rings to have any nudity or like i don't want to be like game of thrones do you understand that Sauron gets hold of a whole nation of people? Yes. Like he gets people to like human sacrifices and like it gets it it should get kind of dark, y'all. It like, should if, if Sauron is who Sauron is in the books, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and that'll also be interesting because Sauron has always been this just like menace, right? Like this just evil you know like just in the air almost you know um we know that he has a physical body but in the books it's it's in lord of the rings you know he isn't like around in the same way that he should be present in in this so that'll be interesting one thing that we haven't talked about i know that i think that this show if it does what I would like is that, you know, focusing on like the multitudes and multifaceted sides of humans, but also dwarves. That's another gap in the history. Yes. And dwarves, I get why he did it, but like dwarves should not just be a punchline for common. Mm-hmm. Like they are a noble race of people with a really compelling backstory. Like the origin story of dwarves is so awesome. And we get, like, the teensiest bit of it in the movies. Not really. We get a little bit more in the books. But there's a lot of blank canvas for them to play around with. As long as they're not, yeah. like, messing up how it is, I'm so excited to see what they do with dwarves. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that'll be so cool. As far, especially when we're thinking about these themes of fellowship. And, you know, the, I, I think the thing that many of us, you know, really love about lord of the rings is that it's these different people who may not always have the same cultural background or beliefs or whatever but they come together and they do some cool shit and that mm-hmm. is 
literally the like the dwarves and the elves in part of this. So um, I think that will be really nice and maybe even explain some of the animosity that they have later on down the line. Like, Mm -hmm. I won't say excuse it, but just talking about like why that exists in the first place. Yeah. Especially if your only real relationship between elves and dwarves is Legolas and Gimli in the movies. And it's like, I would rather... I'll never see the ring in the hands of an elf, you know, like stuff like that. Um, that's yeah. like Chris Davies for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he did so good. He did so good. Um, loved him to death. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity there as well. And, you know, what it means to be, um, because, you know, we're going to have Killer Brimbor, who is obviously a master craftsman, but like the dwarves are also very much that. And, if not more so, as far yes. as like everybody's doing it, um, so that'd be cool. It will, Josh. I've been uh, knowing that you're a composer. I've been wanting to pick your brain specifically about Bear's choice to use Middle Eastern scales and instruments in the Numenor music. Yeah, um, yeah. That's just Bear McCreary in general. Um, I was <laughs> so. That is the most Bear McCreary thing about the score is that um, he's known for this thing where he does these soloistic ethnic instrument lines. And then like when there's like action happening, he ends his phrases with this dotted rhythm that always happens. This bum, 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 you know, and then like it mm. goes to the next thing. He, he just always does that. That's like Bear McCreary in a nutshell. Soloistic yeah. ethnic lines and ending things with a dotted rhythm to like mess with the, you know, with the expectations of the music, I guess. So it's like, I, yeah, I don't really know. Like um, I'm interested to see how that like fits in as a score, like how he's going to score it because to me, it doesn't sound super Lord of the Ringsy. It sounds very bare McCreary, but like that could also be a really great thing. The way it like fits with the visuals, you know what I mean? Totally. So I don't know. Um, it, there are certain me... tracks. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. No, you finish. I was cutting. Yeah, well, I was just saying, like, there are certain tracks that, like, like the Galadriel theme and the Khazad Doom theme, where um, he kind of disappears a little bit, and you don't actually hear that it's Bear McCreary. And in, in a lot mm. of ways, I think the Galadriel theme reminds me of Jerry Goldsmith more than anything, which is oh. funny because Bear McCreary always, like, he adores Jerry Goldsmith. It's like his favorite composer ever. Aww. So that's really cool. It sounds like Jerry Goldsmith wrote that theme to me. Just the way it's like written. There's not even a particular song of his that I'm referencing. It's just the way the orchestra is like orchestrated and the way the phrases are written. It sounds very Jerry Goldsmith, you know? Yeah, because when we were talking about that, we I mean, we were listening to Jerry, some of Jerry Goldsmith's scores from like the 70s and even like up to the 90s with like Mulan. And there were elements of that present in the Galadriel theme. It's just very like, also a lot of people have referenced Alan Minken as like, mm. you know, what it kind of sounds like. So like the guy that did like every Disney film ever, like Aladdin, Hercules, you know, just like anything you can think of. He, he did that sound. And I hear a lot of Hercules in the, in the themes that are really uplifting. I hear like stuff that sounds very like old Disney, you know, and it's really cool. I love that stuff. And then there's like, you know, the stuff that's like, the folk songs that's like one of bear mccreary's like strong points he's all about those folk instruments and folk songs and yeah. so i really love you know the um 
I love the stuff that that is obviously like centering around the proto hobbits or whatever you call them, like the brandy foot theme and stuff like yeah. that. Like they're really cool. And then the song, the the wandering, you know, wandering, wandering day, day or a wandering day. Yeah, it's just really, really good. And that's also a good reference to like a quote that all Lord of the Rings fans know, regardless of, you know, if you've read the books or not, like every bumper sticker ever has, you know, not all who wonder are lost on yeah. as a quote. So like, first yeah. time I heard that I, I teared up because that's such a lovely moment in the book, like the, the poem that Bilbo wrote about Aragorn. And then seeing that as like the quote that so many people love, I just was like, what a good choice lyrically. Like that was so yeah. cool. Like that's a, everyone's gonna, whether you like it or not, you're gonna be attached to that moment in that song. And that's one right. of the things that I see, like we're starting to already see these references already. And I, and I love it because it's like, I know some people are like bemoaning the fact that they don't have the rights to the Silmarillion or the Unfinished Tales or whatever. But honestly, they're, you don't get, I mean, you get some more stuff, but you know what I mean? Like when it comes to what people know about Lord of the Rings, it's mainly in here. So the fact that we, they were almost forced to dig deeper into the text to make, to be like, okay, how can we use this, but make it second age, you know, like how do we take yes. these lines and retool them so that it makes sense for earlier and, um, Honestly, I think it's so far. I think it's it's gonna be a, a beautiful to see what, how they how they do that. I agree, and also I'll quote uh, Corey Olson and Maggie Clark. Mm -hmm. Like, we shouldn't worry so much about rights because yeah. they're working with the estate, I know. so they are able to go and say, "This is the story we want to tell in this direction," and we need. Like, they can make allusions to things that happen in books that they don't have the rights to, but mm -hmm. they want to make an outright reference, like a name and things like that. They need spe special permission. I have no doubt in my mind that that's going to happen, especially with, unfortunately, with Christopher passing and Priscilla passing. Like, I just don't think the people who, like, Simon, I'm sure is, you know, living up to his grandfather's legacy, but he probably doesn't care that much about like, yeah, you can have the right to show like the darkening of Valinor, which I'm pretty sure we're going to see, even if it's just like 10 seconds. Right. So excited for that. Um, I won't even get into spoiling that. That should be like raw information for people who yeah. don't know the story. It's going to be so cool. But um, tangent aside, we know that they're going to make direct references. And so like, I'm just not that like, you know, when you right. see something in a, when you see Finrod and you're like, they don't have the rights to Silmarillion, what are they going to do? They're going to just ruin that. Like, shut up. Like, yeah, you're, but also, <laughs> but luckily, in the very beginning of the appendices, we yep. get a Finrod name drop who gave his life for Baron, you know? Yep. And we do get, so if he did that, but we also have Aragorn talking, like telling the story of Baron and Luthien and Broadstrokes mm -hmm. of the Hobbits. Yep. There's stuff. There's stuff, you guys. So that, that's what I'm saying is that, like, they had to kind of dig. Like, I, I know that they were reading to Silmarillion on the set, and I know that they have this knowledge. Guaranteed. But then 
that almost makes them be like they know what to look for in Lord of the Rings so yeah. that they can kind of like weave this all together. Yeah, it's like um, a list of clues in a in a scavenger hunt. Like, right. Here, read the Silmarillion, not to use it, but to use it as a because you know, like there's dozens, if not hundreds, of subtle references to the Silmarillion in Lord of the Rings oh, yeah, because he, if he could publish it, so he was like. I'm still going to throw in this line about Orome, you know, and and the feet of Nahair, uh, like when uh, Theoden is leading the charge of the Rohirrim. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, man. And there's so many little things like that. So, like, that tells me two things. When someone makes that kind of argument, they don't have the yeah. rights, and therefore it's going to suck. That tells me that they just want to be mad. Right. And they might not actually know the text that well, and all they know is what is in what book. Right. Like, you know, the original telling of anything to do with the Valar isn't the Silmarillion. Well, multiple Valar are referenced in Lord of the Rings. So, like, we're totally going to get Varda slash Elbereth name dropped. We're probably going to get Olmo and Orome, too. Oh, like, yeah. 100. Going to happen. Yeah. So. I, so, I'm excited for what that means for, you know, I know we've been talking for like an hour, but if we want to say just like a top couple things that we hope to see, yeah. you know, I. I'm excited. I mean, obviously, Sauron is one of them, but I'm really excited to get to know Galadriel as a person and not just this ethereal being. I'm really excited to see how they introduce things like Valinor and like the depth of Tolkien that is only it's like we get the bigger themes in the Lord of the Rings films, but I think that they have with five seasons that they can give us a little more depth that we don't get with the Peter Jackson movies as beautiful as they are. Um, and I'm really interested to see how, you know, aside from our discussion around Numenor and dwarves, like that's going to be cool. And I also, you know, I love that they're including hobbits. I know that they're not necessarily like a part of the tales, right? But no. I'm really interested to see how they weave them in there in a way that makes sense to, to lead us to Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Are you grabbing a book? I am. You know, you know who I am. <laughs> well, because you mentioned the hobbits, and like I think we talked about this in a chat once. Like mm -hmm. in the prologue, in concerning hobbits, it is unequivocal the like the three peoples that then make up the hobbits of the Shire in the Third Age existed in the First Age. They just didn't influence any of the stories. But. Now, you say that, oh my god, we're going to be here forever. I'm sorry, everyone, but... Uh, I'm not. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> you say that, and it makes me think, how many times, like The Hobbit, for example, that yeah. influenced a lot of things, but nobody took notice until it, uh, and six, for 60 years, right? How many times will they give us a reason or give us a something where the hobbits influence something that happens without anyone realizing it. I would love that, actually, because what? it's a perfect example of this of the small hands like turn the wheels of the world, and that often means that those small hands like you don't know that notices like yeah. you don't know the name of the person who invented the wheel, but you know maybe that's too right. I know what you mean. Like, yeah. Yeah, but you don't know the name of the person who picks up your trash, probably. Exactly. Uh, not that the hobbits are doing that, but like you don't know the name of the people. Trash. 
that would matter a lot. <laughs> I mean, Josh and I were just talking about like there was a strike in New York City like many years ago where like the trash was piled up to like the size of buildings or something. Oh, yeah. you, you can you probably remember it. You were the one telling me this story. I'm retelling it. Um, but you know what I mean? Like the people doing the things that really matter at the end of like that keep yes. things going, you know? Yes. Um yeah. There's one sent uh Yeah, there's one sentence in it's like the second page of the prologue. The beginning of hobbits lies far back into the elder days that are now lost and forgotten. And the elder days by and large is pre-first age and first age. So like there were little people in Middle Earth pre the sinking of Beleriand. I'm just like Definitely. It's not like they evolved, quote unquote. Like, this is a creationist right. story anyway. So, like, evolution. They we just were there. Yeah, they were just there. But, yeah, like, I just, it just shows how much people care about being mad. And I know that's I know. not the point of this, this episode, but, like, ugh, come on, people. Like, just think a little bit. It's just, hard to escape. Yeah. It is. Just. You can escape by listening to this podcast. Um, yeah. So, Josh, what are you most looking forward to? Yes. I mean, you know, as a fan um, of movies and all, and me talking. Yeah, <laughs> default uh, fan. <laughs> I mean, I'm obviously most excited about the score, and I think in a lot of ways, the score to Lord of the Rings is the only thing we don't have that's like added. In a lot of ways, like. Peter Jackson adapted the films, but he adapted a thing we already knew about, but we had never heard anything because Tolkien, yes. Tolkien doesn't know anything about, he even said himself, he doesn't know much about music and like right. he didn't give us anything as far as like what the melodies sound like to his right. folk songs that he wrote and stuff. Right. And what Howard Shore gave us was the sound of Lord of the Rings and the sound of their culture. Yeah. And I really hope that Bear McCreary, I think he is, doing that but i really hope he really tries to capture that where it's like you're capturing a culture of something that actually existed that's like the idea behind the music you know yes and um and yeah and i think we brushed over the numenor thing a little bit but like i was gonna say that um the reason like it's not just that it's just bear mccreary that does this type of thing you know the actual reason i think that he chose the sound he chose is i think there's like a um I wonder if there's something where like the the creators told him it needs to have a more ancient sound or something. Mm -hmm. Who knows where that started? But I think it's very inspired by like Greco-Roman yes. sounds, like a like a Roman influence. And so I think that's in a lot of ways that could be Bear McCreary's choice, but it also could be like we need it to be like the Rome of Lord of the Rings, yes. like something that's more ancient than what we've seen, yes. you know. And so maybe that led him to this Greco-Roman influence. And he's like the perfect guy for that. Yeah. So his whole thing is he uses ethnic instruments and, you know, he's Armenian and he loves to use Armenian instruments too and stuff. So, um, here for that. Yeah. I think it's a Greco-Roman thing. I think, I think that's the origin of the idea. Mm -hmm. And I think it would, I think it would fit really well, you know? It's almost so. like you knew that that's what Tolkien wanted Numenor to feel like. Cause he did. He, he wanted it to feel like Rome or even Egypt, like ancient Egypt. And so it spot on, like you're, you're so like, as soon as I heard that, I, I don't know what it, what instrument it was, but as soon as I heard it, I was like, wow, they got that right. Like, that's so encouraging to me. 
that that is the heir. You're right. Like the ancient tree, the, and I'm just excited to see that. Right. And then like we were talking about, I'm excited to see it crumble. Like we get to see, I mean, Numenor is quite literally Tolkien telling the Atlantis myth. Mm. Like it's him just taking the Atlantis myth and putting it in the context of his world. Yeah. So we get to see that happen and why the gods sunk it. Like Mm -hmm. that's so cool. But one way they're going to give us cues for the agentry without showing all several thousand years of its existence is through music. Like it's going to give us that feeling, even if we don't know anything technical, just going to feel older and wiser and deeper, I think. Yeah. Uh, Are you excited for anything else other than the score? Um, Yeah, I'm kind of like... uh... I mean, I'm just really glad that it's going to be practical stuff. You know, I, I, I'm really all about the visuals and, like, the sound and stuff. Um, yeah. And since I don't know the, like, source material as well, I don't really care as much as long as it's an endearing story and as long as it looks really good and feels like Lord of the Rings, like the way that Peter Jackson's felt like Lord of the Rings, you know? Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's such an interesting task, right? Because when you take something like a book that can have so many different interpretations and evoke so many different feelings and so many different people but it obviously has struck a chord because it's like one of the most translated books ever you know but then you have the job of like trying to distill that into a movie and so we're kind of getting that again where it's like the same but different like you have to still feel like middle earth somehow but with telling like a completely new story with a few familiar characters. Yeah. I also like, I really hope, I don't know how much, you know, how much the show is going to center around evolving Sauron into what he becomes or whatever. But like, I really hope that we really hate him by the end of it. I want to like, I want a reason to really hate this guy. Like in Lord of the Rings, we're just given like, you're supposed to not like him because he's a bad guy and he's spooky. I want to see like the really atrocious shit he does, you know. Yes. That leads yes, to that. Same. It, so, yeah. What Andy said earlier, like it should get dark. We should see the things that we should be afraid of him. Like I want to be scared when when Sauron is on the screen in the last few seasons. I want to be a little afraid. Like yeah. in, like in Game of Thrones when the whites were on the screen, especially in the last few seasons, I would like shake. Like I was so like excited for what was happening and terrified right. they did a bunch of like what nastiness they're gonna do yeah yeah, yeah yeah and it makes me think like because what's interesting about sauron in the second age for me is that he is not appearing as sauron a lot of the time yeah and so the guy that he is pretending to be for part of it has to be likable yes lovable even you know he yes. has to eke his way in there and become someone that a person like Celebrimbor would trust and rely on and and then to just totally throw it all out the window and like the way that Celebrimbor dies is not nice it is not pretty so it ha and and I and I don't necessarily have to do it the same way that it's described in in other works because of the the way that it is but it does have to go from this was your guy like I think you should almost believe that, yeah, like you should believe that Sauron cares about somebody for him to 
like, you know, it, in like whenever we do things with Vikings, I feel like we always make this reference to when they like eagle somebody. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, the eagle, the blood eagle or whatever, where they, yeah, they, like, rip out your lungs and put them up like eagles and yeah. leave you out to be eaten I by I just creatures. feel like it's, like, a devastating image. <laughs> so I want it to go from, like, BFFs to that to your BFF. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's Absolutely. the vibe. And then he continues to go on to trick every, like, the, the leaders of Numenor um, and does some horrible stuff there too so uh but i think that the the killer thing will probably be our our really that should be the moment where we realize what sauron is capable of and like what he actually cares about yes but i also want him to be creepy from the get-go like i want the audience to be like what are you doing killer like no don't love that guy but not because we've seen him do horrible things or maybe, maybe we do. Maybe we see him do something horrible off, not off screen, but like, I'm trying to think of, an, think of an example here. Like, I guess Littlefinger in Game of Thrones is a good example of this. Like, yeah, he, do, he doesn't always do the most heinous things, but he, like, he might do a really good thing and the next day do something really heinous. So you, yeah. he's a complex evil character, but he's not just bad all of the time he's conniving and he's smart and i want sauron to feel yeah. slimy that way but also have it make sense that people do love him and that way the betrayal and the fall of Oregion and the people there is like that needs to hurt that needs to like come crashing down on us so yeah. hard yeah are you ready to be devastated, Josh? I don't even know if they're gonna go there, but we'll see. Well, <laughs> oh, yeah, I hope. I mean, I'm just like you know, my my favorite stuff is like really dark horror films and stuff. I want this to go oh, dark. Yeah. I want Same. it to be like spooky, and I want it to be gritty, and you know, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, and I think we're gonna get that. I don't know how much we will in the first season. I know right. the creator said to the people in the UK, "This has been said on so many podcasts. I'm sure I'm not." breaking the rules saying it but um they need it like it gets dark so they need the fall they need like the change from light to dark to really impact us so it's not going to be well it's probably going to be dark right off the rip with things like galadriel placing the helmet on the mound of helms and you know yeah. like it's going to be like sad dark but it should very quickly start to be seen that like despite things feeling peaceful like bad shit's right around the corner and right. so like i want this like back and forth i'm excited for that back and forth like we're probably gonna get it's gonna be like a star wars movie like you'll see a scene with darth vader but it'll actually be you know in this world it'll be some evil character before they introduce sauron and then the next scene we'll see like the harfoots it'll be sweet and happy and then whiplash us back and terrify us or make us really mad or sad or something you know what i mean like mm -hmm. Take us through the roller coaster. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Man. I mean, I know, like, at one point in the, today's talk, we got a little nervous about, like, what the timeline compression meant. But yeah. overall, I think we're in for a ride. Um, and I'm ready. I mean, it's it's been a long time, you know, yeah. since we, we've had something like this uh, in the fandom, whereas... 
you know, something like Star Wars, we're getting new TV shows and movies all the time. And yeah. So I, um, yeah, and I'm glad that, like, I'm glad that Bear McCreary got the score, like, the job, because mm. I don't know if there's anyone on Earth that I would rather have it if it's not Howard Shore. And there's, like, I don't know, there's people like Michael Giacchino that could maybe pull it off, mm. but I, I kind of think he kind of just, like, rips off, like, he rips off uh, John Williams a little bit in the, in the Star Wars he's done. And I, I, I don't just want him to rip off Howard Shore. I want it to be new, and, and yeah. Bear McCreary is the purpose the perfect choice for that. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. Whatever they do with the story, all signs point to the production being fantastic. Yeah. So I'm excited to see familiar, but different like costume designs. Like the elves should feel similar to what we know from Peter Jackson's, but like probably a little more unique and a little more like, I hope there's a distinction between the Linden elves and the Eregion elves, mm -hmm. for example. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. Man, I just, I mean, I am really going to try uh, to put this episode out ASAP, um, but we are so close to September 2nd. It is. It's, it's wild. It is. I mean, I feel like this has been years of buildup. Like, I went back to the, I can't even remember when it was, but it, it had to be like pre-2019 or something when they released the map that showed Numenor was going to be a part of the story. Yeah, when was that? Holy crap. Like a million years ago, because then, in, like I was trying to look on the Rings of Power like Instagram and, you know, they started releasing names of uh, actors and stuff a year or two ago. And mm -hmm. I was like, okay, but like, who are these people? And now you go back and you look at those headshots and you're like, oh, wow, like that's Galadriel. And that's yep, so funny. It's, yeah, it's wild. But then, like, so all we had for the longest was the maps and the headshots and names and that we didn't really have very much else. And then they started dropping stuff and it was during, well, it was coming out, it felt like the longest time between each. But looking back, it was so quick. Like, it was like yeah. Super Bowl to now. It's not that much time. Yeah, this year's been wild. It's like been yeah. such a. I have been overwhelmed a lot of the time with like the information dumps that they've done. And I'll be like, I can't even think about it because there's too much. It's too I much. know it takes me like a week to wade into all of it, and like yeah. I have not read all of the articles because at some point you're hearing the same quotes over and over again. So I just right. kind of get rid of them. But like new images, new trailers, and teasers, like I'm on it. It's so yeah. fun to analyze. Yeah. Yeah. Well, huh. well anything, I, you are, anything you're worried about? No, okay. I'm not worried yet. I'm not worried. Until I see an episode, I'm not worried because I don't know what to expect. Other and than I honestly just don't have the brain space to worry about a TV show. <laughs> no, you're so right. It's like, why are people worried? Like, if it's bad, I'll just not watch it or I'll, I'll turn it off. Wow. Yeah. Like, if I don't like it, like, it's not, the thing right. I, it's gonna be it's not like the fall of Numenor isn't going to happen like I just imagine like your apartment caves in on itself and it's like oh Tolkien's ruined now books flying <laughs> like that's not that's, they went back in time and killed him yeah. <laughs> no, that's not going to happen <laughs> yeah so I think we're good uh Josh are you worried about anything I know sometimes you come up to um, me and you're like 
I don't know. No, I'm just kind of, like, in general, I've been won over, and now I'm excited about the show over the last, you know, probably, I don't know how many months. Mm -hmm. But previous to that, I was expecting the show to just suck. Like, Mm -hmm. I actually just thought it wasn't going to be worth watching. And I've been converted, and I'm a little excited now. But at the back of my mind, I'm still a little, like, anxious and hope it's going to be done right. And, you know, I... I know they can really mess it up still, even though we've seen what we have and like it's Amazon and I was let down by New World and like a lot of people were let down by Wheel of Time. But I know it's not Amazon that's making it. It's the people they hired that are making it. And so it's like, you know, Amazon's the bank. But yeah, so it it, I, I have a lot of hope and I'm actually super excited about it now and so i if it is bad it's gonna let me down and i'm gonna be sad <laughs> oh. <laughs> it took so long for you to get here <laughs> yeah. uh, well we have how long a week a week is it yeah. it's well i mean it, it's so it's like a it's all a weekend one two three five days is it the second? Yeah. Well, the, but, yeah. it's actually the it's first. Like over, oh, why did they do that to so me? It's a little over a week. It's like yeah. week it's next week. week next week it's yeah. coming out. Yeah. 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 Good point. Next week it's coming out. So there yeah. you go. <laughs> there you go. That's right. So, yeah, I'm sure we'll try to put something together with the crew to talk about it afterwards. But mm-hmm. um, until then... We'll see you on a regularly scheduled episode where we talk about Lord of the Rings uh, proper, like <laughs> uh, Rings of Power. Um, so yeah, we're we're all in this. We're all in this together. I don't actually know that song, but um, I know that part. And thank you for listening. Thank you both so much for being here and like leaning into my wanting to talk about the show outside of like everything else so i appreciate you both um and i'm gonna stop recording now okay